With his first novel, Our Town, Kevin McEnroe finds his own voice with a very personal tale of Hollywood, self-destruction, redemption and forgiveness. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling-Biro. Thank you for listening. Kevin McEnroe's book, Our Town, has only been out a short time, but is already critically acclaimed and praised by, for example, director Peter Bogdanovich. He calls the novel insightful and filled with the triumphs and tragedies of show business life. A life not unfamiliar to Kevin McEnroe himself. He is the third generation of his family to be in the spotlight. His father is tennis superstar John McEnroe. His mother, actress Tatum O'Neill, who at 10 years old became the youngest Oscar winner in film history for Paper Moon, in which she acted opposite her father, actor Ryan O'Neill. Dorothy, the beautiful young protagonist that we meet at the beginning of McEnroe's book, is actually inspired by his own grandmother, Hollywood actress Joanna Moore, who acted in over 100 roles for film and television. She was married to Ryan O'Neill, and together they had Kevin's mother Tatum. The book follows Dorothy, arriving in Hollywood in the 1950s and throughout her life. As she falls in love and marries the more successful movie star, Dale, she has a taste for abusive men and a huge desire to be the best mother she can be. But her addictions to alcohol and drugs and self-loathing finally overpower her. The story unfolds through rich descriptions of Southern California and Hollywood that can give so much but take it all away without mercy. Kevin McEnroe, who has a Master of Fine Arts from Columbia University, says that through writing Dorothy's story, he learned to understand his grandmother's struggles. Substance abuse has haunted his family through generations, from his grandmother to Tatum O'Neill's private and public struggles through his life. Kevin himself hasn't been immune from the family's troubled history with addiction or the media's attention with it. But it's with great insight and empathy and raw honesty that Kevin McEnroe dives into the human condition in our town. Mr. McEnroe, I'm so honored to talk to you. Congratulations for all the success with the book. And thank you for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, Why don't you describe the book and the story that you wanted to tell? Um, The book for me is... um it's based it's it's based on my uh, my grandmother Joanna Moore, who was my mother's mother. I was called her I called her my nana when I was very small. I only met her a couple of times, but um, you know I think it was just an exploration of somebody. I, I attempted to uh, I was curious about her when I first started writing, and I just was trying to figure out sort of why that was, and I think it's because. I think both of us share a sort of ability to um, get in our own way when we feel success approaching. And so the book for me was um, sort of telling the story of somebody who I think is considered a sort of, in my family, and I think sort of in general, a sort of cautionary tale, a sort of uh, a screw up. And I just felt that there was a lot more to her than that. And I just wanted to under, you know, how you can you know the i was hoping to try and tell a story wherein you could make somebody sort of do things if you just looked at the facts you know i think she did a lot of things that were probably considered sort of untoward in some capacity or sort of um you know as though she doesn't have a moral compass but i think she was always trying to sort of just figure herself out and i think she never really could um 
I think she never understood that it was as, it was it was as simple as when good things seemed to approach her, she didn't believe she deserved that. You know, so I think the book became about, and then that was my first inclination was to make a you know an empathetic story about somebody who made a lot of mistakes, and then also paired with that, I, I really wanted to tell a story about Los Angeles and tell a story about um, how. There's a lot of um, beautiful things and beautiful people there, but there's also a lot to be of, to be aware of and be weary of and be. Um, I have a very sort of uh, love hate relationship with the West Coast, and I wanted to provide a place that could seem sort of romantic and glamorous, but also seem, um, you know, a bit scary and a bit um, vapid. You call your grandmother, or I read in an article that you call her your guardian angel. Why? Because it was, I think it was in my struggle to understand what it was that connected the two of us. I think I learned what she never did, which was that if you believe in yourself even a little, you know, you can allow certain things to, um, certain positive things to happen. And I think with this book, I, I finally figured that out. And I think she never did. So it was almost like in honoring her, she sort of saved my life, you know. Why do you think she never figured it out? I have circumstance, pr- drugs and alcohol probably didn't help. You know, she felt that I think she probably had it even like harder than me growing up. So she felt she didn't quite understand what it was that made it hard for her to um, be the person that she, she sort of wanted to be. I think drugs and alcohol for her were really a disassociative. So she was able to just live in the immediate. And I think if you just live in the immediate like that, you can't really give your like sort of have the overview that's required to figure out a kind of a bigger picture or scenario. It's just like I made a mistake, moving on. You know, I mean, I fucked up again. You know, God, I can't believe I keep fucking up. But not being able to under string together why, not being able to look at all of the fuck ups and when they happened and why they happened, because I think for her it was just you had I she just had to block it all because. It was just a little bit too much to bear. Why do you think it was different for you then? Um, it wasn't for a long time. Um, I think it was only when um, I went through some hardships that you know I felt were similar to her, and then I, and then I think it was when somebody called me and said they wanted to publish this that I thought, um, you know, for example, just to be specific. I found out, uh, you know, about a year ago that there was a publisher interested in selling my book. And that night, I went out sort of celebrating and I got arrested for the first and only time in my life. Um, And I also, I I hadn't really signed the book deal. I had just been offered and I thought they were going to pull the book deal. And so when I came out and they said, we're still behind you, we still want to do this with you. It occurred to me that I was doing exactly what I always was. I thought of it as just this was her life for a long time. But there was no more acute way for me to understand that, oh, this is why I'm doing it. This is what I have too. And so I felt like it was just because it was it was like it was like given to me. It was like a sign. Like, oh, you can't do I like I now that I know that I that we share this bond. I can't. I was like, just the awareness allows you to figure out to not do it anymore. You can't just. I think her thing was always, and I think I had this too for a long time. 
you know, be better tomorrow. You don't look at the past. You don't look at the reasons why you did all these things, but just try and be better tomorrow. And if you don't understand why you've been screwing up, I think it's a lot harder to actually do that. I think you just end up falling back into the same patterns. And I think once I understood that um, even after I had done something I considered very stupid, somebody still cared. It was like, oh, okay, now I need to like actually see that, take it very seriously, and sort of move on from there. And and I think in, in that way, I've actually been able to be better tomorrow. Because you've actually been writing this book for nine years. This was from when you went to university and were studying writing. Um, so this this was basically done then is what you're saying that night you got arrested. I thought it was over, yeah. I almost feel like, I, you know, I've never been religious, but it was like it was hard to believe that she wasn't sort of looking out for me right then. And you have a tattoo of her as well. Is that after this then? This was like three weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking when you were saying that you'd been writing this story for nine years, so you must have thought a lot about her. You went through your mother's um, problems that we've heard. Of. I'm, I'm just wondering, do you think there's a genetic component? I mean, at some point when things may, I shouldn't try anything at all, or is, is it just the self-sabotaging that you go through again? For me, I, I feel felt like and still do feel like that what I've inherited is is the sort of self-sabotaging gene um, rather than the sort of drug. I think drugs and alcohol go very well with that and they can allow you to do that, but you can do it in a lot of different ways. I've found drinking, not drinking, any of those. Like, There's lots of different ways that that I've been able to uh, get in my own way, so to speak. And I think that's what I've found that her and I share. And, uh, you know, my mother, I think, has it too. And I think that, you know, I think hopefully she's attempting to believe that she's um, sort of worthwhile as well throughout all of this. Hopefully I help with that. What has this book meant to her? It must have been a pretty big deal. I mean, such a beautiful book about her own family. Yeah, it took her a very long time to read it because I think she thought, you know, it was too close to home or something. When she finally did, which was when sort of my galleys came out, which I guess is seven months, seven, eight, eight some, some months ago, something like that. She, um, she called me crying, you know, and I was always scared that she was going to feel like it was too dark or something, but she called me crying and she said it was like, I it was like somebody actually understood her, which was sort of amazing because I tried to purposely not at, it was, I didn't want to like interview my mom about her. I wanted it to be my own understanding of, of this woman, not a sort of biography of the woman. This was your picture. Um, I'm just saying that Joanna is named Dorothy in the book, and it's your picture, not your mother's picture of your grandmother, I guess. Um, it was like, I, she, she said it's like, it's not that it's, it's not her mom, but it's like her spirit exists within not only the Dorothy character, but within the sort of understanding of the world that the book hopefully provides. Right, right. Well, it makes her very, very proud and happy, and she's been... Um, great throughout this process. Do you mind if I um, read a little passage from the book about Dorothy's struggles that I thought were was particularly gripping as a mother? Sure. Sometimes, some mornings, when she felt like acting better, she'd write herself lists on napkins or envelopes about the way she'd try and change, how tomorrow would be different, about how much more she'd do, about the kind of woman she could be, work out tomorrow, call pony, get better, do more, These same mornings, Dorothy often asked Clover to hide her cigarettes. I really just love that passage because there's something so devastating about 
just wanting to be better every day and how she really has this in her. And then when she can't, it's that self-loathing. Um, what does that do to a child who sees their parent doing this? In the beginning, when, when I was young, I think it was very easy to think, well, I'm sure it was very easy for my mother to think as well, um, why are you choosing this over us? You know, this we have to be more important. That your kids have to be more important than your sort of insecurity-laced ability to um, attempt to forget. And I think as I got older, I think you realize that there isn't. It's not a choice in that way. It's not. It doesn't work that way. And I think I probably didn't entirely understand that until you, you go through some of that yourself, and then you go, oh, it's sort of like you're not thinking in a, in in an overall understanding of your world and your parenting, but you're just attempting to feel to just attempting that you feel so bad that you just can't feel that way anymore. There's no other choice. So I think it was hard growing up but I also and I'm sure it was hard for her but I actually I think in in writing the book I actually felt I sort of understood much more what she was going through and and I hope maybe even she understood what her mom was going through too and, and just in terms of um I think she was trying I think there were certainly moments probably some sort of moment every single day where she thought today is the last day I'm going to keep this up Tomorrow I'm going to be a good mom. Tomorrow I'm going to be, I just can't today. You know, I just, the, today is over. Like I just need like a me day. But tomorrow I'm going to be, but then, you know, when you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and not realizing why you're putting it off, I think it can just sort of go on, you know, in perpetuity. I think that's sort of what happened to her. And did it piss you off? Probably all of the range of emotions. I think at first you're angry, but then very quickly sad. Mm -hmm. Anger doesn't really get you anywhere in that circumstance. I mean, it can. In that circumstance, it just, that makes you, I think that made, if you uh, attack somebody in that way, it it upsets them even more, you know, and then they push you away even more. The self-loathing element in the book of the character, where do you think, that comes from is that because that comes before the addiction um i think that you know when you have a there's a pattern of um feeling like when your parents sort of aren't as around are around in the way that you need them to be then you can feel like uh you don't understand what it feels like to be told you know you're doing the right thing but um i do think a lot of it for me is genetics i do think a lot of it there's just some something about um uh, I don't know if it's necessarily self-loathing entirely as much as it's sort of like, I don't know if Dorothy would say that she hated herself. I think Dorothy didn't even realize that. I think Dorothy, Dorothy just thought she wasn't meant to be anything and was sort of happy in the darkness in a way that she, she didn't want to be cause she was a mom and stuff, but her instincts and her stuff were and her instincts and what she felt inside were just to be like, I'm sort of meant to be a piece of shit. I'm sort of meant to be, to not succeed very much. So that's where I'm going to be. And then there was a strong part of her that wanted to fight against that. But I think I think it's the self-loathing that comes before. The, what the drugs and the alcohol do probably is keep you in that state of you're unable to to move beyond. You know, it's like if, if you can perpetually say I'm going to get better tomorrow because – Something allows you to just think right in the moment. 
And then, you know, right before, it's like right before, you know, you have your first uh, painkiller, you write, okay, this is the last time. And then you have your first painkiller and you go, oh, that's, thank God that's over. But was it different for your dad, who was such a top athlete, where success seems like it was the only option? Could he understand these things? In me? Yeah, or in, in your whole family going back. I mean, this this sort of running element of being afraid of success or, or self-sabotaging type of thing when, when, when you're an athlete and you're used to sort of, I have to win, I have to succeed. There's probably, I mean, I wouldn't want to say anything inflammatory about him, but there's probably some element of him feeling like if he lost, you know, it was so devastating that you sort of had to keep winning. I think he found losing... You know, I don't think he liked winning as much as he hated losing. You know, so I think that there's probably something about sort of running from from feeling like like I don't you know people I don't think I guess in order to be great at something you have to hate that though. But he is, his competitiveness um, is certainly something that he's uh, made a career out of. But um, is it was it hard for him? To, yeah, I don't think it's it's not um, it's not in him really. So, which is why I think maybe I've um, been able to um, overcome a lot of that because I think I'm, I'm partially my father, who is, uh, you know, success-driven, ambitious. You know, the only the only choice is is to succeed. Right. Yeah, because so, it's just two sides of a coin here in terms of. Yeah. Mm. Right. I think that he's been very supportive and has been. You know, perhaps he. I think he doesn't. Un, he didn't understand when I wasn't doing that well because it's like you're really smart. Why aren't you? Why aren't you doing better? And I think maybe some of his positive pressure and, and feeling like uh, feeling like you know the natural. Like I remember, feeling, like he told me once. You know, because my mom and reti- anytime anything good has happened with the book, it's like my mom is like, "Oh my god, you know, wants to throw a parade." <laughs> That's and my dad is like, um, "Yeah, like good job." And I'm like, "God, you know, it's hard sometimes because you're so, you know, it's not not that big of a deal to you." And he's like, "What do you mean it's not that big of a deal to me?" It's like I always assumed you were going to be great at this. Mm. You know, so in a way, it was like, "Oh, he even believe it's not like a surprise." Like he even believes in me even more than I thought. So that was. But would you like him to set it more then? You didn't really know. I think once I understood that, I realized that maybe that is almost better. Mm. It's almost like, it's almost like, it almost sometimes feels like pity with my mom. You know, sometimes it's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And it's like, well, you know, there's probably a happy medium, which is why I have both of them. So I'm happy. Well, I want to talk to you about how you describe Los Angeles in the book. It's, it, it's almost, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like a character, the places where Dorothy and Dale live and move to through their relationship. And then when it's over from Hollywood to Malmö, they're like sort of mini descriptions of what they're going through, their inner lives. First, it's a beautiful love story. And then it goes, um, what is Los Angeles meant to you? I was born in Los Angeles. And um, I moved from there when I was five to New York, and I've sort of been here ever since. But um, I have a very – I'm ambivalent about Los Angeles in a lot of ways. I have a very – I always feel like I'll go visit my mom for two weeks, and it'll be like, oh, my God, I totally get it. This is the best. And then, like, two weeks later, I'm, like, really wanting to leave. So I have a, I have a kind of um, – but what is it the is just Los Angeles in general or is it the celebrity fame money part of of Hollywood or I would say it's the people yeah mm-hmm. 
I don't even know if it's necessarily just the celebrities because that's not, you know, you don't see that everywhere, but it's more, there's a sort of a, there's just a different set of, um, it just doesn't, it feels sort of like a surreality. I'm sure I would love it. Like I love Big Sur, which I clearly, which is probably evident in the book. And I, I love certain parts of it, but I don't know. There's something about, um, I guess for me, the joke I always make with my brother who lives out there is that if you're always wearing shorts and flip-flops, then you're just sort of always on vacation, <laughs> you know, and I, uh, I can't, I like wearing pants. I like the seasons. I just seems like there's something surreal and, and bizarre about, I also got off the plane the last time and I remember feeling like, you know, it was like 72 and perfect. And it was almost like, it was almost like not even weather. It wasn't hot or cold. <laughs> It just wasn't anything. And I was just like, in a way, it felt like how I feel about it over there sometimes, where it's just there's not, it's not even anything. The the priorities are very different. The moral compass is very different. The I don't find that people are particularly sunny on the inside. I think that they're always chasing something. What What is your feeling of celebrity? Um, I think it's very dangerous. Um, I think that... Um, you know, if you have, you have to have a very, very, very strong understanding of yourself, strong sort of uh, moral compass, strong sort of uh, confidence, like confidence that isn't based on what other people think of you, because otherwise you, you can be very, very quickly beaten down. And even when, you know, I think for Dorothy, probably, even if you're the most beautiful woman in the room, you know, 99% of the time, if one relationship goes awry and it sh sort of rattles you, I think that there's not a lot of other places where that can maybe ruin you for the rest of your life, you know, but because it requires such a deep, under, a deep ability to sort of be told you're not good at this, try again elsewhere. You know, there's not a lot of jobs like that. Are you ready, though? I mean, this book is really critical success. I mean, you, you've had fame in your life, of course, as a celebrity, sort of, but in terms of your parents. But for you now, you're going to go into it on your own. I think it's a lot easier when you can really stand behind your own, your own thing. Like, I'm very confident in this book being good. And... Um, and yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly, certainly things that have rattled me, you know, some of the press, I don't, you know, it's hard for me to do. And some of the, you know, it's much easier for me to talk long form about the book than some of the people that only ask me about my parents. You know, I think it's a lot easier when it's your own words and it's in your own voice. And I do have a sort of innate confidence that's built up over a long time that at the very least, I know I like this. Versus, you know, something like acting where you're sort of, you know, to believe that you're good, even when somebody tells you you're not good over and over and over again. Is there any truth to the rumor that this is going to be a miniseries? Uh, that's in the works. Oh, great. Do you have like a, you know, producer and all that? Uh, that's in the works too. Okay. There's, there's I can tell you're interested. not allowed to say anything. <laughs> yeah, there's people interested, and there's uh, you know I'm just trying to figure out who the best the best route. But yeah, that's certainly a new. That's the idea. I mean, I, either a show or a miniseries. So that would mean that you would sort of extend do more about Dorothy's story. Yeah, a miniseries would be the least amount of work probably. If it was a show, I wouldn't mind going back into. You know, my editor always calls it Mad Men on the PCH. <laughs> 
<laughs> what great title. <laughs> yeah, so I always feel like I could go into a pitch meeting and say that, and somebody would be like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Plus, I don't think there's a very good, at least on American television, there's not a great female sort of anti-hero. You know, we have the, there's the John Hams, there's, there's the Don Drapers and the Walter Whites of the world, but there's not really a woman who can sort of do bad things and get it, and sort of people are still on their side. I think that you know they get it a lot harder. So I want to, I would love to do that. And uh, maybe your mother could play her. <laughs> certainly, the older her, yeah. I mean, if it was in three parts, I had this other idea of making it three different parts. Like if it was a mini series, have it be three different actresses. You know, so there's like the 19-year-old, the 35-year-old, and the 55-year-old, say. And that would be one way to do it, too. But, um, yeah, so that would be, that would be, that is, you know, I'm working on another book, but that's also something that I'm very, very interested in. Is there any sort of element of forgiveness in this book for you, for sort of all, all the generation? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you describe that? Um... I think that I innately attempted to understand or to forgive somebody I didn't really know but who I knew other people hadn't forgiven. That was the easiest thing. And then I think it became, um, you know, really understanding a lot of what my mom went through and, and trying to sort of put a lot of my own experience with my mom into, in, into to imbue a lot of those, that relationship and, and those experiences into the book. And then uh, lastly, I think forgiving myself for, um, you know, at times feeling like I was, I never, I didn't work hard enough or I didn't um, try hard enough to be good at this, or I was sort of screwing around and not taking my life seriously enough. And, um, and to feel like, you know, sort of onward and upward and to stop sort of wallowing in, um, in the past. Cause I think that, um, it's like, it's like Joanna or I guess Dorothy or whoever, um, gave me a second chance at this and, and just uh, to, uh, you know, cause like I could say it took, you know, I can say it took me nine years. It wasn't like I wrote it nine years every single day. You know, there were certainly years that I took that I wasn't writing enough that I wasn't taking. It was, and it wasn't until I felt like um, there was something there. I guess now that I – it makes me believe in my – forgive myself, which I think it allows me to believe in myself, at, you know, to make this a career. Can you continue on and to be um, just sort of a, a person who's uh, on slightly more solid footing? And it's almost like that's one of the things I call jo I'm jo Joanna my guardian angel is just because it's like now – now that this came out, it's like I gotta keep. I have to do it for her. It's like she gave me a second chance. Now I gotta like sort of kick ass and make it make it really something. Thank you so much. This was really interesting, and and, and I really really enjoyed the book. Thank you so much. If you need anything else, let, let's let me know. Thank you so much again to my guest Kevin McEnroe, and his book again is Our Town. There's a link up on popcultureconfidential.com to Amazon where you can purchase the book. Also, we'd love to get your feedback on the show, either on the site, popcultureconfidential.com, or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you to Tom Hansen for editing the show this week. Music is by Carl Borg, producer René Wittestedt, and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. Thank you so much.
science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.